0: i want to start by talking about a word that's really important in the year 2023, probably is gonna become more important in the next few years. It's the word verification. That word verification simply means the process of establishing the truth, accuracy, or validity of something. Now, probably you practice some sort of verification every single day. As a matter of fact, yesterday, I practice some very tangible verification. Uh, My wife and and kids, they are in Houston. And so I have a handful of days by myself at the house and and maybe you, if you have the family gone, maybe your your dreams of what you do, maybe you would kind of do a semi-vacation or you'd watch movies or watch shows. I decided to do a very important task and that is cleaning my garage. And here's why, because if no one is there, I can throw anything a way that I want to throw away. And then they're gonna get it back and they're gonna say, what happened to you? And I'm gonna say, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. It's gone. And so for multiple days, I've been working on the garage. And, and I'll tell you, when you work on the garage, you kind of get smelly and it's kind of sweaty and it's kind of hot. But I'm trying to do as few dishes as possible because I'm by myself. And I'm trying to wash as few clothes as possible, because I'm by myself. And so I, I will admit to you, and maybe some of you will think less of me because of this, but on Friday, I worked hard in the garage and I took those clothes off and I set them aside. And then on Saturday, I, walked, I woke up early to get started on the garage and I walked over to those clothes. And I first picked up the shirt and I needed to verify whether this was clean enough of a shirt to wear, so what did I do? I smelled it, because that's what you do. That's exactly what you do. I I, I take a big whiff of that shirt and it stank, it was bad. So I decided I should not wear this shirt and so I set it aside and then I picked up the pants and the pants had, had drywall all over it and they looked gross. I picked them up and I smelled them and they smelled, but they didn't stink and so I put them on. They needed some verification. Are they okay for me to wear? Uh, Maybe you're somebody like me. I do that with clothes a lot. It drives my wife crazy. I will wear something and then I will take it off and then I'm trying to determine is this dirty? Is this clean or is this in between? And so sometimes I will just lay it down so that the next day I will have to verify through the smell test whether or not I can wear it. And so we verify things all the time, but in 2023, we have it a little bit more challenging than we used to. They have these things, if you look on the internet, called deep fakes, where people can take anybody's face and they can put it on a video of somebody else. Uh, There is a, a website online, or maybe it's an app online, that in 10 words of you speaking, they can completely mimic your voice. And so we're headed towards a time where you won't know if you're watching a video, if the person that you see on the video, if the voice that you hear on the video, if they actually said the things that you hear them saying. I'll give you an example, not, not the video side, but a practical example where, where someone is pretending to be someone else. There's an email that went out on July 13th. Here's what this email said to a couple of our church members, a handful of our church members that said, hello there, do you have a moment? I have a request I would like you to take care of discreetly. I'm on my way to a meeting now, refrain from calls and just respond to my email promptly from Kurt Taylor, the teaching elder and senior pastor. Now, I I will point out one thing that's really important to know. This is just a heads up. If you ever get an email that looks anything like this, my email is not churchinfoonline 1000 at gmail.com. That ain't me. So if you get an email that looks anything like this, I can tell you it is not from me. And a few of the people that got this email, they forwarded it to me or they forwarded it to one of our staff and they said, hey, I think that this is someone trying to scam our church. And one person who got this email went and and started responding and has a whole email chain and they bought $1,800 of gift cards. Fortunately, they never gave it to this person. So, phew, but they have $1,800 worth of gift cards that they got to figure out how to use. Now, there's a part of me that is impressed that an email from me caused someone to go spend $1,800 worth of, I told him, I was like, man, you are a better friend than I realized, but I, I, I'm also wanting you to check next time to make sure that it actually did come from me. And I I said, indefinitely, if it says refrain from call, you should probably call. That should be the first thing. At least shoot me a text, I can respond to that. It required verification. We've been studying 1 John. And John is, at the end of his life, he's probably in his mid-90s, and he's writing these letters And here's what he wants you to know. He wants you to know that your faith in Jesus can be verified. He wants you to have verification. He he wants you to know the truth of your relationship with God. And here's how I know that. Because he tells us, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're gonna be exclusively in chapter five today. We're gonna start at verse 13. We're gonna go out of order. We're gonna start at the end in verse 13, then we're gonna go back to the beginning. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. This is the main point of the whole book. He's trying to tell us. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. here's what John is saying. He's saying, I am writing these things. And he's talking a little bit about the whole book, but but he's especially talking about chapter five. He's saying, the reason I'm writing, the reason I'm telling you these things is so that you may know that you have a relationship with God, that you can verify the truth of your relationship with God. And so I wanna start by posing a question. Do you know? Do you know that you have a relationship with God? Can you verify in your life that you have a relationship with God? And if you're uncertain of, well, what does that mean? How how do I know that? That's what we'll unpack together. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. We'll start in verse one. We'll take it a chunk at a time. It says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome." And so as, as the, the letter of 1 John unpacks, he starts by talking about how God is light and in him there is no darkness. And then he talks about how God is love and demonstrates what that looks like in our life. And then he really talks about obedience, that if we love God, we will live in light and we will live in love and the way that we live should look different. And then he says, it shouldn't be burdensome. That so often we think of church and we think of the rules and we think of the laws and we think, oh, that just sounds so terrible. But we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. He's saying that if you love Jesus, if you love God, then you should want to do what God has called you to do. My wife and I have been married uh, for coming up on, well, I think it is 17 years, uh, coming up on 18 years. So we're into year 18 is where we are. You should know that faster than that. You know, once you get up there. She's the only person I ever dated. So we started dating when we were in high school. That's not, if you're in high school, I'm not telling you that's going to work out. I'm not recommending that. As a matter of fact, I tell high school kids, hey, the person you're dating now, you're not going to marry them. And then they say, well, you did. I said, yeah, occasionally, okay. But it doesn't often work out that way. She's the only person I dated. We dated for five years. We've been married for 17. And I remember early on when we were dating, I, I did not have a cell phone, not until... College. So I, everybody all around me had a cell phone. People would call uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife Lauren, in order to get a hold of me because I didn't have a cell phone. But I remember in high school, when very few people had cell phones, I had this phone that was a clear phone that lit up on the inside. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you can't understand the fact that we used to have phones that plugged into a wall. So that's a whole different story. But to get that clear phone, I had to go door to door and sell a bunch of junk for my school. Anybody ever do one of those Ponzi schemes? I mean, excuse me, um, (laughs) fundraisers. And so you're a kid and you go go door to door and they mainly give you money because they feel bad that there's a kid here. And I was selling, I think, candy bars. And if you sell this many candy bars, you get like an eraser. If you sell this many candy bars, you, you get like another candy bar. And then more and more and more, by the time you've done a million dollars worth of revenue for this company, they give you like a little toy phone. I mean, it worked, but it's kind of a toy type thing. And I remember I used to talk to her all the time. Now, now I've been married for 17 years and, and we dated for five years. Um, our conversations are pretty short now because she called me last night, we talked, you know, two and a half minutes, checking in, and it was, I love you. But man, when we were dating, th- there was this desire to get to know her because I did not know her. It, it, if you asked me right now, hey, could we talk on the phone this week for like an hour and a half? That, that would make me nauseous, like to my stomach. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, do we really? Can we maybe, let's just meet in person and talk. Maybe, maybe talk on the phone for 10 minutes, but, but 90 minutes. And yet, when we were dating, it, it would go by like that because I desired to get to know her. I, I remember we had, uh, I had a curfew at night. That, hey, this is the time that you have to be home. And I would stay with Lauren until the absolute last second that I could mathematically get back to my home and not break my curfew. Yeah, I had this desire to be with her. And now what John is trying to help us to understand is that that when you look at our relationship with God, uh, we can often see things and say, well, it's so burdensome. God wants me to do this and don't do this and do that. He wants to affect my lifestyle, the decisions that I'm making. And John is saying that if you love God, if you truly desire to have a relationship with him, then those things are not burdensome. No, instead, those things are full of life. Verse four, it says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? that we can overcome the world. You can overcome the sin in your life. You can overcome anything in your life because of a relationship with God. Now that word overcome, it's a word that you actually know. Uh, it's a Greek word. It comes from the, the word Nikeo, uh, but you know that word because you probably have some shoes at home called some Nikes. And Nike is named after the Greek goddess of victory. So that word Nikeo, It's from that word Nike. And it means to overcome or to conquer or to have victory. They named the shoe company to say, hey, we're gonna name it after this idea of overcoming or creating victory. And what Paul is writing to you and to me, excuse me, not Paul, John is writing to you and to me, is John wants us to understand that you can overcome, not because of you, Nike would say the way that you overcome is that you get a good pair of sneakers. And I've believed that at different moments in my life. Uh, When I was in junior high, I knew I had to have me a pair of Air Jordans because I figured if I got a pair of Air Jordans, then I could, like Mike, that that was my idea. So I thought would happen. But guess what? The shoes did not lead me to victory. Uh, I didn't get any better because of the shoes. I looked better, let me tell you that. But I did not play any better. Nike is this false hope when it comes to apparel. But what John is telling you and I is that the real hope is in Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're struggling. Maybe you haven't overcome. Maybe you've got this sin that you're wrestling with in life over and over and over again, and you just can't beat it. Maybe you've never surrendered in the first place to God. Sometimes we have this idea that, well, I'm so far away from God, I'm I'm so much of a sinner that I need to to clean some stuff up first. Well, once I stop doing this and stop doing that, then I'll get to God and then he can accept me and, and that's how it works. And yet that's not what scripture says. Scripture says the way that we overcome is not because we are great. It's not by doing anything that you can do It's not by being good enough or being strong enough or being godly enough. No, it's by recognizing that I am not enough and fully surrendering to God and saying, God, take this life. Not mine, but yours. And that is how we overcome every obstacle that this world throws at us. Look at verse six. It says, this is is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. So there's this false teaching that's going on at the time that as years have passed since Jesus was alive and Jesus had died and Jesus had rose from the dead, you have these false teachings that start popping up about who he was and who he wasn't. One of those false teachings was this idea that well, Jesus was real, but he wasn't, in the flesh and blood. He was really just a spirit. And that spirit walked the earth and that's why that spirit could die and rise from the dead because he wasn't actually literally flesh. And John is saying, no, 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 no. John who knew Jesus better than anyone is saying, no, he was spirit, but he was also flesh. He was also blood. It says, and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, goes back to that idea of verification. That in the first century, that one person's word was not enough. If you're going to go in the court of law and you were going to testify, there needed to be numerous accounts that verified whatever you were saying to be true. He says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life And this life is in his son. Uh, Let's repeat that again. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're the very end of your life. And you're thinking of legacy and you're thinking of what you're passing on down and you're thinking of what matters the most to you. And so John is at that stage. Uh, John knows that he's nearing the end and before he leaves, you can just hear in his writings, this burden that he has, uh, that he wants the, the people that are gonna read his letter, he wants the people that will hear his letter to understand and to know one thing. You see it throughout all of his writings, one consistent thing. It's all about Jesus. That's what he wants them to know. That's what he wants you to know. That's what he wants me to know. He wants us to know it's all about Jesus. You know that we all have eternal life. Whether you are a Christian or not, you have eternal life. You will live forever. The question is where will that eternity be? We're all headed towards hell. That's what scripture is really clear about. That we are born into this world, separated, broken. That our sin separates us away from God. That we deserve a punishment of death. We deserve to forever be separated from God. And then Jesus steps into the picture. That's why John understands the depth of the theology. He understands the depth of the truth. He understood the person of Jesus. and So he wants everybody to know, hey, you can overcome. Look, if you're in this world and you're apart from God, you are headed towards hell. But he's saying you can overcome that. You can overcome death. You can overcome sin. And how do we do that? He says it's all about Jesus. The Jesus, the son of God comes and lives a perfect life, a sinless life. And he chooses to die on a cross. He does it for your sin and for my sin that we deserve that death, but he willingly goes to the cross and he does it so that he could defeat sin. He does it so that we could overcome, not because of what we could do, but because of what he did on the cross and he doesn't stay dead. Three days later, he rises from the dead. Uh, There's this really cool scene in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus gets baptized. Now, John the Baptist was his cousin and John the Baptist was doing what's called a baptism of repentance. So people are turning away from their sin and Jesus steps forward and Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. And John at first is like, what? No, no, you're, you're the Messiah, I can't baptize you. Now, Jesus was not getting baptized because he was a sinner. But catch this, because this is really important. He was getting baptized because he was identifying with sinners. Huge distinction. That Jesus had no sin. And yet, when he goes to the cross, he bears the sins of every single one of us. He takes on our sin, our shame. And so when he gets baptized, he's setting an example. And he's identifying with us as sinners, but he's also looking ahead to the cross. Look look what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse four. It says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That baptism is a picture of the gospel. Baptism is a picture of overcoming. Baptism is a picture of verification. It's, hey, how do I establish the truth in my life? Uh, That's that's what John writes. Hey, you can know that you know that you have a relationship with God, and you do it first by looking at your testimony. Do you have a testimony? Uh, Do you have a story that talks about life change? Do you have in your life that moment where you surrendered to God? That baptism is an outward expression of what God has done in our hearts. That when I become a Christian, when I step into relationship with God, it's a picture that my old self is buried, it's dead, it's gone, it's no more. And now I have newness of life. I have overcome sin. I have overcome darkness. I have overcome death. Now for all eternity, I can have a relationship with God. What a beautiful, beautiful.